Hello, and welcome to the Kingdom Corner Podcast, where you can propel your faith into even deeper levels as we discuss how to live the kingdom culture on earth as it is in heaven, just as Jesus prayed. Here's your host, the great Matt Geib. Good day, good day, Kingdom Corner Podcast devotees. The great Matt Geib with you once again. And today, in this episode of the Kingdom Corner, I want to take a bit of a detour from the book of Ephesians. We're getting ready to go into chapter 2, but there's been something that has been strongly on my heart, heavy on my heart, this past week or two, and I just want to speak to this issue because I think it's very important. I think it's very timely. Today, we're going to talk about considering adversity, considering adversity. We're taking our text from Ecclesiastes 7, 13 to 14. Ecclesiastes 7, 13 to 14. Consider the work of God, for who can make straight what he hath made crooked? In the day of prosperity enjoy good, and in the day of adversity consider. God hath also set the one beside the other, to the end that man should find out nothing of what shall be after him. The Darby translation. Ecclesiastes 7, 13 and 14. In this passage that we're looking at today, the basis of our message of what I want to share, the word consider is mentioned two times in these verses. Consider the work of God. Consider the day of prosperity and the day of adversity. In Hebrew, the word is ra or R-A-A-H, which means to take heed, pause, stop, meditate upon, ponder, give attention to, behold. God is saying to us today, I think it's very important in this time and season, to pause, to stop, to check something out, to consider something. The Old Testament, a lot of times in the Psalms, at the end of a Psalm or the end of one paragraph of a Psalm, it would see selah or selah, which means to pause to meditate, to take consideration of, just like this word, consider. So what are we considering or taking pause to check out today? Adversity. We want to talk to you about adversity. It is not enough that God ever creates bad or crooked things that makes things crooked. He doesn't purposely do that, okay? I want you to know things get crooked or have gotten crooked because we live in a sin-fallen society today. Because Adam fell, we have weeds. Because Adam fell, we have sickness, those kind of things. But I also want to clearly, clearly state to you, I want you to mark this down, highlight it, that God never makes bad things happen on purpose. It's not his intent. And in the 70s, there was a teaching when I was a boy in the small Midwestern town that I was from, farm town, Back in Ohio, very evergreen, or I should say greenhouse-type atmosphere spiritually. We had a good conservative churches there, good conservative Christian people. They all came upon this doctrine there in the 70s that, you know, anything that happened, good, the bad, if something good happened, you got a raise at work or you got a new promotion at work, of course you're to praise God for that, and we know that. But also, if anything bad happened— 
like say your kid went out and ran in the street or was on a bicycle and got hit by a car and killed, you are also to praise God for that. And I just emphatically going to say today, that's false doctrine. We never praise God for bad things happening to us. Like if we lose a child or, you know, something bad happens and our house burns down, we praise God through the situation, not for it. You always praise God in a situation, not for it. We're going to find that out today. In this passage, it is as if God is placing both scenarios before us to consider and compare. He's placing, like it says in the scripture, on one side is prosperity, on the other side is adversity. It's like the old TV show where there's, you know, two curtains you could go through on the left side is the emblem prosperity. You could walk through it. On the other side is adversity. You choose. But a lot of times, unlike the game show, we can't choose. Adversity just comes to us. And what will we do when we walk through that curtain and face adversity? How will we face it? What will our responses be? That's what God is asking us today. What is it that we can do to respond properly to receive the gift in it that God has for us? There is a gift I believe in adversity if we allow God to do that work in our hearts. Adversity, the Hebrew word for adversity is just two words, two letters, ra, R-A, or ra, which means much like our English word, has all these connotations, affliction, calamity, distress, hurt, evil, sorrows, troubles. It also involves injustice or mistreatment by others. Have you ever been mistreated by someone? You ever been talked about, you know, gossiped about, had stories told about you that were not right or correct? I'm sure a lot of us, if we've lived long enough, have. Also, this adversity that this word kind of alludes to, which is, you know, physical kind of distress, is also accompanied by a heavy atmosphere of sorrow. So it's not just physical, it's mental and emotional duress and stress. And how could you not have that if you were going through some of these other things, if your body was being ravaged or if you lost a child or you were in a car wreck and hurt, wouldn't there be some, some mental stress as well, some mental emotional upheaval? I'm sure there would. Now, the word ra, R-A, which is adversity, comes from a root word. It's derived from a root word meaning to make good for nothing, to spoil and to harm, to break or grind into pieces to break or grind into pieces, make good for nothing. Have you ever felt like your life was worth nothing? Like you've been so pounded down by a situation or something in your life that you were good for nothing, and you just felt like crawling into a hole, not ever coming out again? That's what it's talking about here. And we're going to show you something beautiful with this meaning here in a little bit when we connect some other things to it. But I want to take a situation from the Bible, a story from the Bible, and read to you probably a man that we all are familiar with that really faced adversity in his life. You know, he really faced adversity. Let's look in Job. We're going to talk about Job, chapter 1 and chapter 2, and just kind of look into his life a little bit and what happened to him, what kind of adversity he faced, and how he responded. So I'm going to read from Job, and we're just going to, I'm going to make comments as we go along. Job chapter 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright. Some Bibles say perfect. 
one who feared God and shunned evil. Wow. Does that mean if I'm blameless, I'm upright, I'm walking with God and really moving on with him, nothing bad will ever happen to me? Is that what that means? Wow. Let's read on and find out. And he had seven sons and three daughters born to him. His possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household. So this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. Wow, he had quite a reputation. He had quite a lot of influence. He was a rich man, well-known, well-liked and respected. Okay, that was Job. He was blameless. And God said that about him. Okay, so that's kind of is the opening here for explaining who Job and his family were and what, what the setting was. But let's go on to verse 6 because there's coming a character into the story that's going to bring a challenge. Now, there was a day, verse 6, when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on earth blameless and upright, who fears me or fears God and shuns evil. So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands you have, and his possessions. You've increased in the land his possessions. But now stretch forth your hand, touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. So in this, we see the very first challenge, okay, that Satan brought. You know, he was there snooping around, looking for a way to get in. And he says, okay, God, if he's so blameless and perfect, let's find out. Let me do these different things to him. So now let's go down to verse 13 and, and see how, how this story starts to play out. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them, when the Sabines raided them and took them away. Indeed, they have killed the servants with the edge of their sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. First thing happening. Servants were killed. Livestock was taken. That's the first first hit of this calamity, of this adversity. Let's go on. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven, burned up the sheep and the servants, consumed all of them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Sheep and servants. Sheep were taken away or burned, and servants were burned up and killed. Okay? Second problem. Second thing. Second calamity. When he was, while he was yet speaking, another came and said, The Chaldeans formed three bands, raided the camels, and took them away, and killed the servants with the edge of the sword. I have alone escaped to tell you. Okay, so the camels were taken, or, and the servants were killed. While he was still speaking, another came and said, Your sons and their daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And suddenly, a great wind came from across the wilderness. Must have been a tornado and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they were dead. Wow, he lost his sons and daughters and their friends. 
and I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, and he stood up and shook his fist at God and said, how could you let this happen? No, if you read the verse, that's not what it said. He arose, tore his robe, shaved his head. He fell to the ground and worshiped in the situation. He wasn't praising God for it, believe me. He was probably reeling all these things that had happened in what seemed like a moment's time. Everything he had that was so good and all the riches and his family that he loved so much all seemed to be gone. But it says he worshiped. Can we do the same thing when adversity begins to come upon us? Are we that way where we stop and we begin to worship God in it and praise him in it, not for it? Boy, what a, what a strong, devout, blameless man he's proving to be. Let's go on and let's look further. So Job worshiped. That was the first major test, okay, with uh, about four parts to it. So chapter two, again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. The Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? For there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and shuns evil still. That's what God could say. And he still holds fast to his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without cause. Wow. So Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin. Yes, all that a man has, he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand now, touch his bone and his flesh, and he will surely curse your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand, but spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with painful boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took for himself a potsherd with which to scrape himself while he sat in the midst of the ashes. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. That's what she said. Curse God and die. You know, have we ever been, have you ever found yourself in such a adversarial position, such a calamitous situation, so many things going wrong in your life, and you have somebody that's close to you like that, a loved one or a friend come by and say, wow, what's up with this Christianity? I thought God was so good. Why don't you just, why don't you just give all this up? It's not worth it. You're not being blessed. In fact, you're going backwards. Have you ever had that happen to you? That's what, that's what was happening here with Job, right? Do you hold still fast hold to your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, this is what his response was. You speak as the foolish woman speaks, women speak. Shall we indeed accept good from God? And shall we not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Amazing, amazing story, amazing account of the blameless and upright man there, right? And even when his closest family member wanted him to turn his back on God, he said no. And it's almost as if he was quoting our verse today. You know, shall we indeed accept good from God and not adversity? You know, that's what we're talking about today, considering adversity. Consider both of them, adversity 
and the prosperity because they both come into our lives. And he said, shall we not accept both? As In other words, there's something in it that possibly God will accomplish. Okay? Now I want us to go, as, as we go on here, I want us to look at two other passages, and I want to kind of combine them and show something here, show a principle here that I believe God has in view when we talk about suffering and adversity. And I have these typed out, so I can read them right away here. 1 Peter 5, 6-10. to Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your care or anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be of a sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Sound familiar to our story of Job? But resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by or in you and your brethren who are in the world. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself, now mark this down in your Bible when you return to it, what will he do? He called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. One of the first things about adversity that he wants to work in your life is to perfect you, to confirm you, that is, you know, you know, strengthen you, also strengthen you, and establish you. Very important. The next scripture I want to tie in with this, Psalm 51, 10 to 17. We're all familiar with this account, the great repentance prayer of David, and I'll read that, Psalm 51, 10 to 17. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted to you. Deliver me from blood guiltliness, O God, the God of my salvation. Then my tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips that my mouth may declare your praise. For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering, and here we are, this is the important parts here, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. The sacrifices of God, I'll say it again, are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. The word for broken here in Hebrew is a very interesting word. It means to shatter or break into pieces. The word for contrite is also just as interesting. Daka means crushed or ground. So the sacrifices of God are a shattered or broken into pieces spirit and a crushed or ground up heart. And God, you will not despise that. I would say the result of real humility, the result of true humility are these two words, broken and contrite, shattered and crushed. Adversity, look how this parallels what we already talked about, how it it parallels the word, the Hebrew word adversity. They both basically mean the same thing. Adversity is related to humility. Adversity comes to bring humility into our lives. Both words basically mean crushing into nothing, 
crushing into nothing, right? What do we choose to do when we face adversity? That's very important to ask today. What are you doing in adversity? What is the key? What are you responding? How are you responding? You know, when you're that place where you're so ground down by the circumstances that you feel like you're good for nothing, that your life is worthless. You know, that's a good place to be in. A lot of people, what they do is they pull back from God. They rear up in their pride and in arrogance. Instead of going low and being humble and allowing the situation to humble themselves, they resist God and they shake their fist at God. And I could tell you a story where I was in that situation back in 91 or 92. My young brother, he, he's quite a bit difference in years from me. I used to go fishing with him a lot, and we got quite close fishing when I would visit my dad. And you know, he was killed at a very young age. He was found with his the insides of his stomach shot out. And the two years prior to that, he'd come to Jesus and really had an amazing transformation, amazing conversion. Because before that, he'd ran with gangs and uh, did drugs and sold drugs and sold guns. And when they found him by the side of the road, you know, bled out, they said he committed suicide. But, you know, to this day, our family knows there was something more going on because the last two years of his life, when he was 20 and 21, were the best years of his life. He led many of his friends, his gang members to the Lord. He was really strong in the Lord, and um, he was taken out. You know, I believe he was taken out by former gang members that didn't like what he was doing. And so, you know, that caused me to, you know, just want to shake my fist at God. And I had to persevere through that situation and instead draw near to God. It's not always easy. Adversity, adverse situations that come into our lives are not always easy, are they? So let's go on. Some more things about adversity before we close out here. Adversity happens to everyone, to all folks. And it's, it's really all about being tested to be approved and see if you measure up or if you don't, to see if you're good enough or not, like a school test that you might take. My granddaughters are teenagers, one's in junior high, one's in high school, and they're very smart girls, but oftentimes, or every so often, they'll take a test and not do so well on it. And you know what happens? The teacher often comes and says, we know that you're better than that. Why don't you go home, study it again a little bit, and come back tomorrow and take the test again? And that's what they do. And more often than not, just about every time they come back and they've tested out better. They've passed the test in a more positive way. And that's what God is talking about here. That's what adversity is all about. And we want to draw close to God. We want to learn from these tests. We want to grow in them. And the key is to humble ourselves in humility, okay? And we don't want to be, I think of the children of Israel who were not humble who wandered in the desert for 40 years because they were stiff-hearted and arrogant. One place in Hebrews, it says they were apathia. They were unpersuadable. It's talking about them in the wilderness. They were unpersuadable. They were like the picture of a donkey. I think I brought this out before, being led to water that did not want to drink. That's what they were like. And therefore, the whole generation, save Joshua and Caleb, died in the wilderness. So, adversity is used to test us. And tests are good to judge whether we pass something or not. They're used to bring us to humility, you know? If you're crushed to the point of where you just feel useless, that can be turned into a good thing because you can turn to God in that. 
and he can begin to mold something and build something beautiful in you. Why suffering? Let's talk about that for a minute. All Christians experience suffering and adversity. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Philippians 1.29. Many are the afflictions, the calamity, you know, the distresses of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him only some of the time. No, the Lord delivers them all the time. Psalm 34.19. Many, uh, underline that word, there's many afflictions, okay? But God delivers us every time if we will allow that affliction to make us draw closer to cling to him. These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, you'll have distress, you'll have calamity, but take courage. I have overcome the world. John 16, 33. That's what Jesus said. Let's talk about another thing. Suffering is painful. Don't you let anybody ever tell you different. Let's look to a man. Boy, if we could just hold a candle, just a be a fourth of what he was like. And of course, Jesus is a primary example, but this is a good picture of the Apostle Paul. I want to go through here and read through some of the things he went through when we're talking about suffering being painful. I'm going to read through the Bible here, 2 Corinthians 11, and I'm going to start at verse 22. We're going to go a little bit here. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of revelation. See, he was a, the Gentile apostle. He was given the mission of opening up the mysterion, the mystery of the gospel. We've talked about that before, to the Gentile church and to the world. So he had a lot of revelation. Wait a minute. I got to start verse 22. I jumped way ahead. Are they all Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more in my labors and abundant in stripe above measure in prisons more frequently. See what he's doing here. He's having to defend his apostleship, having to defend his apostleship to the Corinthian church. They didn't really want to accept him that readily. And he's having to say, I am an apostle called by God, and here's my resume. And I've gone through all these things, and he's going to lay them out. Why? Because I love you so much. I've given my life out for you. So here he's given this, of the seed of Abraham, I'm a minister of Christ. And then he says, in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently. These are the things he went through. In deaths often, from the Jews five times. I receive 40 stripes minus one. Usually one time when that happened to a person, a lot of times they would die just from the one beating like that, 39 lashes. That happened to Paul five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked a night and a day. I have been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst. See, it wasn't just physical. I'm sure it was weighing on his mind and his emotions and, his, of course, his whole body, you know, just like we talked about with what adversity means. Often cold and naked and hungry, fasting. Besides the other things, what comes upon me daily my deep concern for all the churches. See, he was, he was concerned for the church. He had a deep love for them and an intercession, and I'm sure his heart was pained for them because he loved them so much. 
Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to stumble and I do not burn with indignation? See, he was upset by seeing many or a number of, of them drift away from the church and fall away. That bothered him. If I must boast, I will boast in the things which concern my infirmity. So let's go on. Let's jump down to chapter 12. And this is where I started out by mistake. I'll just start at verse 1. It is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. See, God gave him a lot of revelation, a lot of opening up the scriptures that he opened up to the Gentile church. And then he he goes on. So he had that. And he says, I'm not going to boast in those things. He was caught up to the third heaven. For though I might desire to boast, I would be a fool. I will speak the truth, but I refrain, lest anyone should think me above what he sees me to be or hears from me. He could boast about all these things that had happened to him, all these revelations, these visions, taking out-of-body experiences and into the third heaven, but he didn't want to do that because he didn't want to puff himself up. Verse 7, unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of all these revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure concerning this thing. I pleaded with the Lord for this thorn in the flesh three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities and my reproaches in needs and persecutions and distresses. Why? For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. There's so much in there, you know, about Paul's life and all he went through for the churches and for his calling to being the Gentile apostle. And, you know, I often wonder, he was the Pharisee of Pharisees or training up to be a Pharisee. He went to Gamaliel's school for seven years, probably was the most promising up-and-coming Pharisee. And yet on the road to Damascus, he was won over to Christ. He had that experience when he was knocked off his, his donkey or horse there, right? And he came, had a wonderful, miraculous conversion. And he must have, you know, God, I've talked about this before too in past episodes, that he must have had all these scriptures that he so well knew of the Talmud and the Old Testament just come together, run together. I've talked about that before in teaching on Ephesians, run together in his heart and mind. And light bulbs must have went off. Boy, he had more revelation than probably other than Jesus Christ to anybody else at that time. You know, God gifted him with that. And yet, Maybe that's why he had the thorn in the flesh. You know, us Bible scholars, I know we've debated for years what that is. We don't really know. I guess it doesn't really matter. But even though Paul was a man of faith, saw many healed under his ministry, he himself was never healed of that. And I think sometimes maybe it was there just to keep him humble from all the revelation he had. I don't know for sure, but that's just my thought. Suffering is painful. Paul showed us that. He says in Philippians 3.10 that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship. See, he wanted to fellowship, have koinonia with Christ's sufferings. Isn't that something? We often want to, I know for me, I often want to take the path of least resistance, you know. Suffering is needed. Why? Psalm 119.71 said, it is good for me that I was afflicted that I might learn your statutes. Psalm 119.67 says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. I remember as a young lad being afflicted a bit with a belt by my earthly father, and that kept me in line. So God, and also Hebrews 12.5-12, 12, 
You may know that scripture. It's a good one to read about how it's a picture about how sons and daughters are corrected as children, and that parallels how the Father corrects and disciplines us. Okay? Let's try and finish this up here. 1 Peter 1, 5 to 7 who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to be as a result in praise, glory, honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So our faith is being tested, and it's more precious than gold. And Job even brings this out more clearly. But he knows the way, he knows you, my friend, the way you're taking. When he has tried me or when he's tried you, he wants you to come forth as gold, Job 23.10. You know, gold, to be purified as gold, to have all the impurities come out, you know, and be purified through that test. Adversity is ordained of God for us, Acts 14.22. Strengthening the souls of the disciples, this was Jesus before he ascended, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying, through many trials, we must enter the kingdom of God. How do we enter the kingdom of God? Through many trials. In life, we don't talk about trial and success. We talk about trial and error. Babies never learn to walk without stumbling, do they? Never learn anything new without making a mistake, right? Proverbs twenty four sixteen. A righteous man falls seven times, and seven in Scripture means he falls completely. You know, he's utterly fallen. He, he's in that place of nothingness like we talked about, crushed beyond belief, ground into nothingness. And yet, what does he do? He rises again, right? Because he's because he turns to Jesus in the situation. But the wicked stumble in time of calamity. That means they stay stumbling. They stay in that state. 1 Peter 2, 21 to 23, for you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, see, this is the greatest example, it's Jesus Christ and his suffering. Being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Wow. You know, I mean, how do we do when somebody cuts us off in traffic or yells at us or says something to us? Do we keep our mouth shut and just take it? Or do we react? You know, I know I've been guilty of that. Hebrews 2.18, for in that he himself has suffered being tempted, this is Jesus Christ, he is able to succor or comfort them that are tempted. Okay, let me read one more scripture and I'm going to be done. I've gone a little long, but I think this is very important in the season we're in. We have been in a season of adversity since, what, a year ago when COVID came. I think right now we're kind of in a lull, but this is so strongly on my heart because I think we're in a lull, but I think we may see some more calamitous things. We may see some more duress, some more trials that may come upon us, that may come upon the church. And that shouldn't surprise us. You know, the scriptures also say that in the last time that so much stress would come upon even the elect of God, delusion might come upon them because they get in distress. I don't want you to come under delusion. I want you not to rise up and resist these things so much as to just lean into Jesus 
and trust him in this adversity. Let me read one more scripture, and we'll close for today. I've gone a long time, but I think this is worth it for you to hear this message. Let's see. What do I have here? I want to start at verse 5 of 2 Corinthians. Again, Paul is talking. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 5. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ the Lord, and ourselves, your bondservants, for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Verse 7, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but never destroyed always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life, let me see, that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to that which is written, I believed and therefore I spoke, we also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that grace having spread through the many may cause thanksgiving to bound to the glory of God. Verse 16, we'll finish up here. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man, see our body, our flesh, is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed. The spirit man, your spirit man, is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, imagine Paul writing this, all he went through, and he calls this his light affliction, which is but for a moment is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we never look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Be blessed, my friends. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you for listening. Thank you for joining us for another great discussion on The Kingdom Corner, hosted by Matt Guide. Remember to click the subscribe button so you can be notified of each new episode as it's released. To enjoy an even deeper dive into God's Word, check out Matt's new devotional book, Searching for Significance, a devotional journey through the book of Ecclesiastes. Learn more and even hear from Matt himself on the devotional website, significanceacademy.com. As always, thank you for being a part of the Kingdom Corner.